Hey, I'm Mike Joseph, and thank you for listening to Detoxicity, a show by men, about men, but for everyone. I hope you enjoy the content of this podcast, and I want to let you know about a few things you can do to support us and our mission to challenge traditional notions of masculinity and create a more communicative, positive, and loving environment for all. You can subscribe to Detoxicity on any podcast platform that you use to listen. We are available just about everywhere. Also, don't hesitate to rate and comment as these help us move up in the podcast rankings. I'm on social media, or at least I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok as Detox Pod Guy. Feel free to drop me a follow. Now I have a Patreon page, yay! And uh, Patreon gives you the opportunity to get cool merch and exclusive episodes of this podcast in exchange for subscribing. Go to patreon.com slash detoxicitypod to find out more. Uh, finally, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, whether you found an episode of the podcast particularly enjoyable or enlightening, or you know someone who'd be a great guest, or you'd like to offer constructive criticism, or if you yourself would like to be on the podcast, hit me up. Reach out to me at one of the aforementioned social media channels, or if you're old school like I am, drop me an email, detoxpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and take care. I have a fascination with people who consider themselves dating and relationship coaches. I'm sure this is an offshoot of my overall interest in psychology, hence this podcast. But there's something specific about navigating interpersonal relationships that makes me really, really curious. Uh, There's a subset of folks who consider themselves dating or relationship experts or coaches or gurus who give the field a bit of a bad name. I've seen the reality shows, or, well, I haven't seen them, I've heard about them. I've read the columns, I've seen some of these folks do their thing in person, and maybe made the mistake of basing my opinion of the field on a few prominent bad apples. Uh, The memory of that show, The Pickup Artist, which I'm sure some of you still remember, still gives me the heebie-jeebies. This conversation that you're about to hear has done a great deal to soften my stance, and I had to fight through a fair amount of internal bias to have this conversation in the first place. James Ferrigno is a dating and relationship coach based in the San Francisco area. Uh, His practice is largely centered around authenticity, which sadly isn't something that gets touted as leading to success in the dating world very often. I do a bit of digging into what led James to this work, as he has a pretty rich background that precludes his career as a coach. Uh, From there, we really focus on connection and why men in particular seem to have so much trouble in that realm. James offers a bit of important insight into how to create and sustain connection. And a lot of that insight, of course, can be used towards dating, but it can also be extrapolated to relationships that exist outside of the heterosexual dating world and even the male-female binary, and can be applied to familiar relationships, platonic connections, and all types of other relationships as well. Anyway, time for me to shut up and let you hear what James has to say. My name's James Ferrigno, and I'm here to just talk about relationships and dating, and I specifically like to focus on the energetic and connection aspects, the emotional aspects of it, and that's what I do in my work with my clients is focus on the emotional and energetic aspects of of connection between human beings, which is really important during dating, but really during any relationship of any level, it's still important. I agree with you. How did you get involved in this work? Because I, looking over your resume, essentially, you've done a million and one different things. So what made you settle on this is the thing that you want to do now? Mm, that's a good question. You know, it was just a path that I was kind of going from thing to thing through life and doing what seems like the best thing at the time. And I think this path has spoken to me more than things have in the past. You know, it's one of those things where things happen and you're not sure 
until the thing happens that is the right thing, then you are sure. And you're like, oh, okay, this wasn't present during those other careers I had. Parts of it were, to some extent, I know when I was teaching, I, I really felt like I should be there. It really felt appropriate for me. And it's something I really loved doing. But there was a little something missing, freedom to be able to teach exactly how I wanted to. And not just for my own pleasure, but for the benefit of the students. So there's limitations, and especially in public schools, or private schools as well, of what you can do. And I think that I wanted to just have the freedom to be able to help people whatever way was best for them. And in terms of sp focusing specifically on interpersonal relationships, was there an experience that you had or an experience that somebody close to you had that was kind of the kickoff point for me saying, hey, I want to talk about this on a regular basis? Or was it just sort of a conglomeration of experiences over the course of your life that led you towards this work? I'd say what led, it what led me towards it is just who I am. And I had years of different types of therapies. And, you know, I've always been a person who's been working on themselves, doing, you know, whatever new thing, you know, I've decided to focus on, whether it was physical or diet or, you know, exercise or emotions. And then I eventually found the energetic side of it in 2006, started doing grounding. I had been working with an NLP practitioner because I went through years of therapy and I wasn't finding exactly what I wanted until I, I did find this one marriage family therapist who did different times of energy work, EMDR, DPT, uh, shamanistic things. And I really was attracted to that. And I thought this really worked for me. Someone who has this huge toolkit and all these different experiences that they can use to help me instead of just having a degree in one area and going with that one model, having the access to all those different models. And that was really beneficial for me. And also that helped me uncover more of who I really am. And I could learn to be more authentic because more of me was rising to the surface through that process over years. And when that happened, I realized it's always been there. I had this love of communicating and connecting with people and this love of women and dating and sex. And I thought, you know, this is what I love. And once I realized that, I started exploring that. Well, I'm going to do something that allows me to have better relationships with everyone and allows me to explore my sexuality. And then I started to do sexuality training and I went into a lot of that. I went to sex therapy, I think first before the training. And that just blew my life up and it completely changed who I was, changed the focus. And I think that really was the, that was the spark. Oh. I've heard about sex therapy. I have done really no research into that. No idea what it is. What did that entail? So, yeah, it can take a lot of different forms. So I'm sure there's a lot of different things out there. The form that I took was somatic sex therapy. So that was something where you learned embodiment. So you learned to be in your body, which worked well because I had been doing the NLP and the grounding exercises with the somatic therapist earlier. And I think that's what drew me to it. I went, well, that somatic therapy really worked for me when I was struggling with the anxiety. So somatic sex therapy just seems like a good fit. It was something I was already familiar with. 
And so that's something where I remember just the, the first session, the therapist just had me touch her knee. And the training was to like, be grounded, be in yourself, feel your whatever emotion you're feeling and hold that emotion that you're feeling, then be able to look someone else in the eye, you look the therapist in the eye, and then actually physically touch them. She's wearing jeans, I just touched her knee. And having that kind of connection, we weren't even talking, and I guess then it was learning to talk while you're doing that, but holding that space and holding that emotion and keeping it there while you're connected to the other person. And that was really the key was doing these things simultaneously. Because I think connecting with another person is very intimate and it can be really intense. And just looking in someone's eyes and if your heart is open, if you're open to connecting like that and you really begin to connect with someone, and for someone whose heart is closed, you know, to protect themselves, it's much easier. You can just dip in and talk to people and move around. But it's like opening your heart, connecting with the eyes, touching, and then keeping that emotion there without exploding into panic is, is quite a challenge at first. Yeah. I hear you there. So uh, two things you brought up during that last bit of what you said that I have questions about. One is I, I've heard a lot lately people talk about being in your body. Mm-hmm. And objectively, I get what that means. Uh, for someone who is in my head a lot, it is mm-hmm. really difficult for me to be in my body, at least the way that I understand what being in your body is. Do mm-hmm. you have any suggestions for how to get out of your head and into your body? Yes, I do. Quite a few. So I'll go over embodiment first. Embodiment is a big part of my practice, my life, and the how I'm helping clients. So we really live in a society that's very frontal cortex based. So we're all spinning around up here a lot. And there's a couple of different aspects to this. One simple thing to do is I really believe that virtually every human being should have a daily grounding practice, should learn to ground themselves. And there's a lot of other people with grounding exercises out there on YouTube. And though you don't really need to get hooked on that, you can listen to it a bunch of times, but eventually you learn to do it yourself and you won't need anyone to guide you through it. So I really recommend that. And there's a number of different ways to do it, but the most simple, basic way is to simply put your attention on the backs of your legs and the bottoms of your feet. And when you just put your attention there, it'll start to drop your energy lower in your body. And something else you can do is just intention setting can be really useful for this, is just set your intention for your energy and emotions to drop into your legs. And you'll drop low down because all our energy is pulled up. It's all up high and it's up here, right? So we're a bunch of bobbleheads, right? The whole... (laughs) Seven billion of us walking around with these bobbleheads. And when you can bring that energy and emotion down, it actually does move some of the energy when you just move your awareness, but more you're moving your awareness of it. It's there all the time. It's just being aware of it. And and that's what embodiment is too, is just being aware of your body, like just sitting and thinking, okay, I have skin. Let me feel my skin. Okay, there's arms and legs. 
and the lower body is, is better. And then the next thing is you can do movement exercises and start to learn subtle movement because not all of us, myself included, always have huge subtle movement skills and dexterity. So practicing those can kind of get you into your body a little more and you'll start to have your awareness and consciousness be in your entire body rather than just up in the front of your head. So using intuitive thinking and emotional thinking coupled with the logical thinking, having a balance between those three can really expand our awareness and it also expands our embodiment. I know I've strayed a little bit from embodiment here, but <laughs> it does expand our awareness. And just having more of an even balance between those three pieces, really four if you count you know, the grounding and being embodied, rather than having all of it just in the frontal cortex. And that can really leads to being you know, not only bobbleheaded, your energy's up high, which isn't attractive to people. So you have trouble attracting people because people aren't attracted to that. People like low, people people who are cool, people who are relaxed, people whose energy is low. And people do a lot of work to try and fake that, right? Huh. They're up here, but they're trying to pull their energy down and they're trying to be relaxed. They're trying to be confident. And the truth is the vast majority of people out there are not really confident. They're going through this fake process of being confident without being authentic. They're acting, you know, essentially. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, a whole industry around the saying, fake it till you make it. I've certainly been in a situation where I had to be an inauthentic version of myself because I was awkward or anxious or in my head. So I, I'm definitely familiar with that concept. Mm -hmm. I wonder why men in particular seem to be so bad at relationshipping. Yeah. Uh, and that takes on so many forms. Like, yes. I don't want to like zero in on one specific mm -hmm. thing, but whether it's friend relationships, work relationships, romantic relationships, sexual relationships, things like intimacy, which you were talking about a little earlier regarding that exercise that you were doing with the therapist, mm -hmm. I, I feel like men in particular would have a very hard time in that situation. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts as to why that is. Yeah, absolutely. I see this with clients all the time. I see it in the world. I see it when I'm talking to women. And this isn't universal, not all men, not all women, sure. but the vast majority of women are, like I was talking about before, are coming more from their emotions, more from their intuitive base. So they're using more of their brain. Women can think, they also have a larger corpus callosum. So there's a lot of information going back and forth, just, just biologically with a woman. So women are going through all these thinking processes and they can do all these things at once. They're just remarkable. And really, before I started studying this and really learning how amazing women are, they just really can think quickly and can hold more than one thought at a time and can jump from thought to thought and can keep track of seven different things and go back and forth. And it's like most men, I know myself included, one thing at a time <laughs> forward, you know, a to B to C. I mean, this is where logic came from. You know, men invented it because it's a very masculine thing. It's a very male way of thinking. But men have trouble for several different reasons. If I were to say the biggest thing, it's that the biological thing is a factor, but I think it's the society, the dominant society of the world today. And I would put it down to lack of initiation. And I think every society in the world 
for most of human history has had an initiation process for its adolescence. And there are very few of these cultures left, almost none. But when you can study or look at some of the ones that still exist, they, the cultures of humanity have always trained people and they've generally divided up the kids into men and women. And then the men would go with the boys, the women with the girls, and they would teach them about what it is to be their gender, how it is to interact with the other, what dating is. They teach them something about sexuality. But I think the deepest thing, the most important thing that was usually taught is how to learn to know yourself, how to figure out who you are, what you want, what's appropriate for you, you know, what your sensibilities are. And some cultures would have people, you know, go out and forage in the woods for three months or however long it takes until they just figure themselves out or sit by a fire and stare into it for, you know, six weeks or whatever it was. This was very prominent in Mayan culture. They went through a process that lasted about a year for both men and women, and they went through this process. And now the dominant Western European culture has now spread. And as that has spread throughout the world and kind of dominated the other cultures, it's gradually wiped out this initiation process everywhere else that it existed. And it was somehow lost in Western Europe. But you can see the decline of it. Some of it was still left in the Middle Ages. And then it kind of declined through the Renaissance. And by the time you get to, you know, just a few hundred years ago, there's very little of it left there. But these initiations were still thriving other places in the world. But now it's pretty much gone from most of the world. And it really, it's damaging, I think, to women, but also to men more so. Because if you look at the current culture, women, like because of the way they are with the thinking and how they interact differently, talk to each other more. And this is why I'm a real supporter of men's groups. I think they're very important. And they will support each other and they'll talk about their emotions, which men tend to not do. But they also have some cosmopolitan and they have some magazines that Marie Claire, that while not perfect, still bring up things and and issues are addressed and things are looked at and they get some level of initiation, probably not half of what they should be getting, but some, whereas men can be left with almost zero. I mean, your parent is not helping you. The society certainly doesn't help, you know, well, I, not I really the, anything the, out there. Yeah. I think the culture is geared towards just not speaking Mm-hmm. For men, kind of from Jump Street, like your skill set isn't necessarily built through talking and experiencing and feeling, uh, mm-hmm. although it should be. It's built through action, if anything. You know, I, I think about that a lot because, you know, when we drop out into the world mm-hmm. where the fundamental differences aren't there outside of genitalia, you know, mm-hmm. but the way that we get trained up as time goes on and as we grow just creates this tremendous divide it's nurture not nature i think you know yes. is where most of it comes from mm-hmm. and i'm going back to that exercise that you mentioned where you put your hand on your female therapist's knee and mm-hmm. i feel like so many people would immediately sexualize that moment and even mm-hmm. me as a man who primarily has sex with other men mm-hmm. would sexualize that moment and mm-hmm. I, I, I'm wondering 
in that moment for you, what did that feel like or what were you thinking? Yeah, well, for me, yes, I was feeling sexually nervous, mostly. (laughs) I wouldn't say aroused because I wasn't quite to that point. But that energy was there. But that was intended. That was the therapy is to move into that energy and be able be able to deal with it. But yes, you're absolutely right about the nurture and can't remember who it was, but some prominent person, I've read this more than once and I can't remember who it is, but said that the three most damaging words to all of human society are be a man. Hard agree. (laughs) Big agree there because that's the premise of this whole podcast. It's like, what is a man? What should a man be? How have the ideas that have been put in our heads about what being a man has been so destructive and sabotaging over time? Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, I'm sure you see that a lot in your work with people who just don't know how to interact with other people, whether it be, you know, people of the same gender, people of the other gender, people that they have romantic interest in, people that they have platonic interest in figuring out what the difference is between romantic and platonic interest or what happens when those Mm -hmm. lines blur. Because, you know, a lot of those are questions that I still have, Mm -hmm. you know. So it's such a conundrum. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I'm curious what you see in your work as kind of the biggest hurdles, biggest things that people need to get over in order to have healthy relationships. Yeah, I think we can work on it ourselves, but I think as a society, we need to start initiating the adolescence. And I saw this because I was teaching high school and working with the kids there, not only are we not teaching them what they should know, the message that boys get is it's not okay to have emotions, except anger at certain times. So anger is kind of okay, but the rest are not okay. So you learn to repress them. And once you get past the suppressing, which is conscious stuffing it down, you begin to repress, which is automatic. So it's outside of your awareness. So we have a world of men walking around with you know, all these emotions that they're not feeling that that are there, but that they're suppressing. So women have far less of this issue, not being able to first feel their own emotions, then share them. And, you know, women say a lot, you know, he's not emotionally available. You're not emotionally available. And most guys are walking around. What the heck does that mean? (laughs) You know, no idea what that means. Right. So it means you're not feeling your emotions and then you're not connecting with the other person. And to truly connect with someone, you first have to be able to feel your own emotions or you can fake it, but you can't really connect with someone if you can't feel yourself. And that's the first step to to having, whether it's a romantic relationship, but really I've been to many trainings where I'm you know, doing connection exercises with both men and women. And it's important in, you know, a board meeting. So you, people should be connecting, and they often aren't. So we have board meetings and important things happening where people are sitting around and making important decisions, and they're not connecting with each other. And the ramifications of that are terrifying. I feel that 100%. <laughs> In order for someone to buy what you're selling, they need to feel comfortable with you. Like mm-hmm. There needs to be some kind of connection there. Yeah, yeah. There has to be some kind of connection, and it's the natural human state. So we're built to do that. We're built to connect with people, and we should be connecting with people. And there will be a lot less dishonesty when people are connect. When you're connected with someone, they can't 
lie to you. Unless Which is one sociopath. reason. <laughs> yeah, yes, that is true. Okay. Some people. But you sh hopefully would notice that. But yeah, most of the time we want to be connecting. When we're human beings, we should be connecting with who we're speaking to or you know, whoever we're interacting with. Because it helps facilitate things. It makes things go more quickly. There's less arguments and disagreements. And even just on a practical level, solutions can become gotten to much more quickly and easily. You know, when people are on the same page, people talk about being on the same page. It's like, well, you're already on the same page when you're connected. And men are really not taught how to connect. In fact, they're discouraged right. from connecting. Right. And that's something I want to explore a little bit. I mean, maybe this is a different way of asking a question that I've already asked. Mm -hmm. A lot of people across the gender spectrum see... Mm -hmm emotional openness as something that's feminine. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of men are worried that being emotionally open in a way that would be helpful to them would lead the people that they're being emotionally open to, to think that they are either weak or gay. Mm -hmm. And I, Hey, I'm just curious if that statement resonates with you. And I'm curious what you do to sort of work over that, to tell people to get past that in your work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it does resonate with me. Yeah, I think you're right on. And this arises because of the society where men are taught not to have or not to feel their emotions, not to be aware of them. Well, it's the women that have the emotions, not the men, which isn't true. The men have them, they're just stuffing them down. Right. And so it comes from a place of a false premise, right? And a whole world of inauthenticity, you know, of misinformation. And the thing to do is to walk guys through feeling their emotions and so they can stop being scared of them. Because as it stands, the guys who are tough, the guys who are confident, the guys who run the world, they're so confident and so tough, they're not really confident. They're terrified of their own emotions. Terrified. And that's why they can lash out at people that do have emotions, either women or men that they perceive to have them because they're afraid of their own emotions. And heartedness, I think, is where it begins, because you can open your heart if you can have compassion. And this is why the love versus hate thing is so important, just from a practical level, because there's a lot of energy and a lot of power there. There's a ton of power. Really, all real power, I think, comes from love. And when you can have compassion and have love, you... Are protected you're protecting yourself when you open your heart and people are protecting their heart by closing it right so then the love doesn't come in but then what happens is the energy goes somewhere else and what they tend to get is anxiety in a spinning head right so all the energy will go up here but you can also get energy going other places in your body and that it makes you vulnerable because one you can't connect with people so you don't know what they're doing or thinking you know, so you can be more afraid of them because 
whoa people if people are just these blank cardboard things you know that move around you you know that you have no access to it's really easy to be afraid of them because they're the unknown whereas if you're open to them you're connected there there's nothing to fear you're connected to everyone which reminds me of a great story but i'll finish this learning to ground and grounding also helps reduce anxiety get you in your body and that'll help you feel less afraid then when you can really connect with someone that will zero it out completely hopefully you know once you learn how to do it well and learning that emotions are not something to be afraid of and there's a little irony here because when you're suppressing your emotions fear is one of the emotions that you're suppressing and you don't believe you have <laughs> so if you tell someone like that that they're afraid of their emotions i'm not afraid you know because they just can't feel it but they are and this is what causes all manner of physical problems and emotional problems and just stuffing all your fear down is just not a good road. And all this stuff, it's energy and it'll come out one way or another. And it'll cause all kinds of people end up with, you know, stress and the connection between all kinds of different physical ailments. Sure. And... But teaching, this is another key point, is teaching men how to feel their fear, how to let it come up, how to be okay with it, how to talk to somebody while you're feeling it. You know, I teach guys how to talk, walk up to a woman or someone you're attracted to and talk to them while you're afraid. So this is where guys get it wrong. And there's a big pickup community on this. You got to be confident. Don't be afraid. It's like, no, if you're afraid, you're afraid. That's it. Just have the fear, feel it, own it, admit it, because 90% of women, I know maybe not in every culture, but most women, especially in Western culture, if a man walks up to them and is experiencing fear and then says, I'm a little nervous right now talking to you because I'm so attracted to you and my heart's beating, I'm nervous to you. The woman sees, because they are, t are connected to their emotions, will see that, oh, this is courage. This guy is tough. It has the opposite of what people would think. Because if you're afraid and then you do something, in fact, that's what courage is. Right. And women are really attracted to courage. Men are attracted to courage. Yeah, you know? I think that, that applies to any combination yeah. of genders that, that you could think yeah. of. I would like to think that people can see through bullshit. Uh, mm -hmm. And there is this fake confidence that I see sometimes in situations where people are, you know, trying to pick up or trying to attract someone. When I see it in action, I kind of look at the other person and I'm like, I really, really hope that you see through this bluster, this fake, mm -hmm. whatever this is. And, you know, I think of it even as someone who wants to be pursued. Like if somebody walks up to me and their rap is confident and mm -hmm. smooth and feels rehearsed if they're not showing any signs of nervousness then my antenna goes up because i know mm -hmm. that no matter if i approach somebody from an interest standpoint whether i'm interested in them platonically or romantically i'm going to be nervous that's just the long and short of the situation i'm not going to be confident unless i'm drunk <laughs> yeah you know so i, I approach people the way that I would want to be approached. And I think that it's healthy to say, hey, look, you know, I'm really nervous about walking up to you and starting a conversation, but 
there's something I found interesting about you. And that would draw my interest a hundred times more than somebody walking up with the Hey Baby rap or anything that sounds inauthentic. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. That That is true of most human beings. There is a thing with women and like the kind of first stage masculinity bad boy thing where they'll be attracted to that. And I don't know if you're familiar with David Data's three stages of masculine development. Yeah. He laid out first stage, second stage, third stage. The first stage is the classic male, what we're familiar with throughout history. The guy is, you know, super tough, completely disconnected. You know, it's just this old school thing that is fairly rare now. And then there's second stage, which most guys are now, which is the nice guy who has a little more awareness, more intellectual capacity, you know, more subtlety, more interest in intellectual things and reading, and is also more kind, probably not violent at all, you know, isn't controlling and, de and demanding of people. Whereas the first stage guy is very controlling. It's my way or highway, you know, shut up, sit down and you're right. doing what I tell you. And then there's the third stage man who is just coming into existence, which is the second stage man evolved into being grounded and authentic. And what we were just talking about that eventually gets you to becoming confident, but having true confidence just through authentic, honest connection with yourself and your surroundings and compassion. Right, And there are women that will be attracted to the first stage guy or even men as well. I know the classic thing in our society is the woman will sleep with the bad boys and right. then marry the nice guy. Right. I don't, but, I don't get the bad boy thing at all. I can I guess see how it would be exciting in the short mm -hmm. term? Well, women are attracted to, in general, someone who can create a safe space for them and protect them and keep them safe and really create that kind of masculinity. And bad boys are capable of doing that. They can create this physically safe space, but right. not emotionally, emotionally safe. Right. They get part of it, whereas the nice guys usually can't create any kind of space, you know, emotional, physical, or otherwise. Not always true, but often true. So it's something that they long for because they want that safety and that masculinity. So the thing to do is for the nice guy to learn how to create that in an authentic way, connected way, rather than in a disconnected, inauthentic way, which is what's going on with the bad boy situation. I think of that archetype and I'm like, sure, you get the idea that oh, this is someone that you would want to have on your side in case somebody messes with you. But don't you think that at some point down the line, that person is going to turn that towards you? Mm -hmm. What if that person does turn that towards you and then you become a victim of whatever? I, I would imagine this is just me kind of talking out of my ass here that mm -hmm. a lot of those guys in that first archetype end up being abusive in one level or another. Yeah, and they do. And the women get caught up in it, though. The power of that cannot be understated. They can just walk up and the woman will just fall apart and they'll just be swept along. They'll just have to do what he says. But that can actually be done in an authentic, loving way instead of a controlling, inauthentic way. And this is something that I've done on dates. And the power of it is is incredible because... I've even walked up and just spoke to women that I'd never spoke to before. I hadn't even been speaking to them that long, a minute or two. And they already, 
not even in general, all the time, every time. You start to get confused, like, who are you? What's happening? What's going on? Because they've never encountered masculinity before. And it doesn't matter how old they are. They can be in their 60s, and they just have never encountered a guy who had masculinity that wasn't scary. And I started to get that reaction from women when I had just started to develop that. I was maybe, you know, 5% of the way there. But still, it was enough to have a huge, huge reaction with people. You know, you're holding a safe space around them and you're kind of creating a bubble and you're opening your heart. And so you're using the combination of love, being grounded and being authentic. And so you're connecting with them, sharing yourself with them. And it's like you're allowing them in too. It's an opening instead of a closing. So you're opening to their energy and you're opening to whatever they'll give you. And I think Zamperion once said, is in order to be a good seducer, you must be one who is seduced. Seems logical. <laughs> yeah, but the key to being seducing someone is to be seduced by them first. So when you're enthralled, you see the person and it's appropriate. You're not just picking any random person because they look like someone out of a magazine or whatever. Right. You're picking because there's this resonance. You really, truly feel something powerful about this person and you open to them and share with them what you're feeling about them. And a lot of energetic things happen and people's hearts connect and the woman kind of can get swept away into this safe place and it's like this cocoon and it's something very very powerful that's almost impossible to resist i'm i'm curious um you know i my stance over the last couple of years in particular has been that so many relationships are predicated on a model of ownership mm -hmm. it feels like they should be predicated on a model of partnership mm -hmm. you know and it's not necessarily meaning that they need to be you know, 50-50 all the time. But a lot of the relationships that I've seen, and maybe I'm an outlier, I don't know, I don't think I am. A lot of the relationships I've seen over the, the course of my life seem to be predicated on the idea that I, as your partner, am your property, and you, as my partner, are my property. And it throws the concept of free will out the window. And it also just sort of leads to this control behavior on both sides of the relationship. And mm -hmm. I, 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 I don't think that that's a successful archetype. Um, mm -hmm. It sounds like you are seeing sort of a move towards a more progressive view of relationships in your work, mm -hmm. which might also just be based on where you live. And you are in a place where those relationships, I would imagine, are not uncommon. True. Yes. A lot of the progressive stuff, as always, kind of starts in California, but it does spread throughout. The, and there's a lot of other places in the world. They're really prominent in Germany as well, is is on par with here. And Australia has a lot going on. And of course, the whole Pacific Northwest, but even parts of the East Coast now, I can see the changes happening. And there's stuff in Massachusetts, I know, and North Carolina. So, but yeah, with the model for relationships that we've inherited from this culture, you know, given that no one is initiated, I mean, it's, it would be hard to claim that it's healthy in general. To have a healthy relationship, you need two individuals who are aware of themselves, aware of their own emotions are able to do self-care, have a daily practice, 
take care of themselves and are able to negotiate the world on their own in a healthy, loving way, you know, not in a Machiavellian way. And then those two individuals come together and decide to, you know, make whatever commitment they decide to make. And when people just kind of fall together, I mean, they throw the word codependent around a lot lately, but it gets to what's going on in that people are becoming attached to each other. People get attached to outcomes. They get attached to their expectations. They get attached to them in their life, in their business, in their goals, especially. And it's hard for your goals to be achieved when you get attached to them because you're really just hanging all of your fearful emotions on that hook, right? So you're saying, I really want this. When you get attached to it, you're taking all your subconscious fear and just hanging it on. It makes it difficult for that to happen. So it doesn't mean you can't have desires. And I think people get a little confused with Buddhism in this. It's not getting rid of all desire is not the goal. <laughs> it's to have desires, but have them come from a healthy place, but then also just have it be there without hanging all of your emotions on it. And this is what people do with relationships. They get attached to the other person. I think this is what codependency is. And then they hang all their emotions on the other person. And this is the reason for so much jealousy and ownership. And I think it actually served a purpose for a while. People aren't doing it for no reason. They're doing it because it cuts through all these other fears and all these other problems that can evolve when you have an unhealthy relationship. This is why the, the current model is monogamy, ownership, two people, blah, blah, blah. It just makes it so much simpler because you don't have to deal with all these other things. Of right. course, in the end, you're still going to end up with the same problem. It's just going to take longer to sink in and you won't notice it first. And then you'll just wake up trapped, which is not an uncommon, unknown experience right so it takes 20 years and then oh god what, what is this uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah the idea is to be a healthy individual and to have a partnership with another healthy individual or whatever number of individuals you want to have a partnership with and the rules of that can be whatever you decide whatever the people involved decide they are so you can have whatever rules or guidelines or agreements but i I prefer the term agreement to rule, but there's a lot of challenges out there and there's a lot of, lot of issues that arise from this. I mean, really, I'm sometimes just amazed at how stable and nonviolent our culture is given that no one's initiated, men aren't feeling their emotions, people don't know how to have their own individuality, aren't connecting in their relationships. I mean, that's really not great. One of the big things I see too, you touched on this earlier with emotions being identified with women. The situation we have when you're not initiating young men is that when you're not initiated, your emotional growth stops at that period. So you get to 13 or 14 and that's it. Yeah. You know, there's no growth from there. And then, I mean, unless you go down a path to find it, you know, as I have, go find it yourself and go to workshops and do the work, which I am 
very heartened that a lot more people are doing the work and a lot more people are looking for it and realizing that something's amiss, especially in like the last 10 years, less five years, even during COVID, I think a lot more people are really exploring this stuff, which is really, really great to see. But now we have this situation where there's a bunch of basically adolescent teenage boys running the entire planet and almost exclusively white. Yeah. And the problem is with that, if I need to get into it, is that when you stop at that age, you believe that you are logical because that's where you're putting all your processing is up here. So that's what you're aware of. So you're aware that I'm thinking logically and you bury all your emotions. The problem with that is when you believe that you're just logical and you're not thinking emotionally, you're just denying it. Then the emotions, they come around the other what? side and they absolutely control you. So these men that claim to be unemotional and claim to be logical are actually the most emotional people there are. And they're completely blind to the fact that they're controlled by their emotions. And then they will point the finger at women or men or whoever is having emotions and say, you're being too emotional. And what is too emotional? And that right there is a bit of manipulation because it's impossible for them to be too emotional. Right, it's, ga it's gaslighting. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, so. Amazing yeah. to me. I feel like when you repress emotions and they don't come out in a healthy fashion, they then come out in a very unhealthy fashion. And, you mm -hmm. know, that can be violence. It can be, you know, as you mentioned before, manifestations of illness. It can be repressing emotions, you know, sexual violence, you know, rape, you know, even down to like, you know, you know, I am certainly pro-ho, but people who are dangerously promiscuous, mm -hmm. it all comes out in these potentially dangerous, whether to themselves or to others ways, where it would be easier to just say, hey, you know, I am dealing with these emotions. Let me figure out how to get these out in a you know, potentially scary, but also potentially healthy fashion. Absolutely. And I see, I see this with clients. I see this with friends. I see this with people all the time too, is that this is what addiction is. Addiction mm -hmm. is distracting yourself from your emotions because you don't want to feel them or you're not able to feel them. And you can distract yourself with drugs, with alcohol, with sex, with Facebook, with, you know, Instagram, with whatever. And it can become an addiction if you keep going back to that same well. But really, even if you don't develop a severe addiction in one area, you can spread it more evenly. So you have your Instagram and your Facebook and your drink and your, you know, and you've got it out. So it will appear that you're not an addict, but really you have the same problem going right. on because right. the emotions come up. You think, oh, I don't want to feel that. And you shove it down and then you go, oh, I know I'll go watch TV or whatever it is. And that really is something that could really be life transforming to change that behavior and to be able to feel your emotions. I work with clients doing emotional releasing or allowing techniques that allows them to allow the emotion to come up for a few seconds and then let it go. Because really what's happening with the emotions is 
Humans have this ability to be able to shove their emotions down, to be able to stop feeling it to a degree. And it's a great skill if you're, you know, fighting a lion, then it's great to be able to not be panicking while that's happening. But it transferred into this society, if you're not actually fighting for your life, the skill is used all the time just to avoid your feelings. And it's a real problem. So allowing those feelings to come up and then being able to let go of them, be able to stop using this skill. This is the thing with emotions is that it's the letting go process is just that it's letting go. So you're not actually doing something. You're ceasing to do what you've been doing your whole life, which is very difficult for people to comprehend without doing it because they don't feel like they're doing anything. They don't have no awareness of it. So it's hard to not do something that you're already not aware of. So I run through a quick process with them. Actually, you can teach someone in two minutes. And I run through a quick process with them of just like you can hold your hand, connect their, the clamping of their hand to the clamping down on the motions and have mm. them open their hand. And I usually have them like pick up a pen or something and drop it. And you can do that the first couple of times to connect it up. But people learn really quickly to stop doing whatever it is. And if you can just go through the process of feeling it, let it go. Feel it, let it go. And I found this to be super helpful for myself and hugely beneficial for clients. And I've seen people really change their whole lives from doing a lot of it. Because for better or worse, most of us have a lot of buried stuff. Those emotions that you didn't feel here and there. In fact, that's what trauma really is. Trauma is not a horrible event happening to you. Trauma is a, an event happened to you and you had emotions about it and you clamped down on those emotions, didn't feel them. Theoretically, anything could happen to you as long as you felt the emotions. And I found with the EMDR process that sometimes with that process, you go back in and feel whatever the remaining emotions are. So you can go back through your childhood, go to each thing, feel the remaining emotions that you clamped down on when you were three or whatever. And I found that for myself, sometimes there was literally only one second left. Like I had felt almost all the emotions, but if you clamp down on it one second before it's over, it sits there and it's trauma and it's completely destabilizing. But I went back in, felt it for one second, it just evaporated. And uh, sometimes you need to feel it for longer. Sometimes it depends where you clamp down on it, where you stopped it in its process. So emotions, to, they're like the weather. They're like a river flowing. They're just this thing that just flows through you and supposed to be there for a few seconds. Or if there's an ongoing process, you know, throughout whatever process is happening. But then they're gone. You know, they're just moving through. And our whole lives, we are clamping down, clamping down, clamping down. Some people, that's all they do. All this input all day long, every day. It's clamp, 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 clamp. Every bit of that is stored. Every bit of it. None of it's just going to find its way somewhere else if you don't mm -hmm. let it go. So it can be a little time consuming, but incredibly beneficial and helpful and feel really great to just start releasing some of that stuff because I will liken it to like a boiling pot. It's like you're just holding the lid on that pot. You're just holding it on, holding it on, holding it on, holding it on. And it's like, well, one day it explodes. One day it's going to come out. Eventually your skill will fail and the anxiety, the depression, the anger, the rage, whatever is going to come bursting out. And this is how 
you know, the phenomenon of some guy does something violent. It's like, oh, he seemed like such a nice boy. But, you know, he was holding down his emotions. Well, yeah. 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 And he's not unique. You know, everyone who's saying that is doing it, too. So You're absolutely you could right. be next. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be conscious of your time. I have one question mm-hmm. left to okay. ask you that came into my head as a result of, of uh, again, what we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. I think what you do, and to some extent what I do, is preaching to the choir. Mm-hmm. How do we break through to the people that are on the fence or don't even know where the fence is? So there's a number of ways. One of the things I do is simply approaching it from a dating relationship perspective because a lot of people need help in that area. And it's a perfect match because it's where the pressure is really on, you know, in a relationship. It's where everything is happening. So it's a great testing ground for this stuff rather than being a therapist often have this and that happen i found that like that's why the sex therapy and the the intense workshops where you're connecting with someone you know in a even if it's not actually sexually but with sexual energy mm-hmm. it just fires it all up and it makes it it's easier to learn that way and it becomes more obvious because the energy is so strong you can feel it and then you can get people who energy what are you talking about you know emotion you know but you you can take some guy who's like that but then when he's standing in front of someone he's really attracted to do you feel the energy oh yeah it's now there. he feels yeah. it 100%. Yeah. yeah i mean i'm yeah. not i'm definitely not a woo woo kind of guy but yeah. i've certainly been in situations where i mean for me, I thought it was more sexual tension than sexual energy, but mm-hmm. you certainly do feel that. That's a real thing. Yeah, the sexual tension is tension is energy. You know, that's what right. tension is. So yeah, so it's it's a great and it's also it's very difficult. I know my um, coach talks about a guy he worked with who was a decorated Gulf War veteran and just you know was this great hero. It saved all these people's lives. You know, just went into a machine gun nest by himself, you know, and, but when he had to approach a woman, he was terrified, <laughs> couldn't do it. So it's something that's so hard. It can be harder than risking your life, yeah. but it's really a great place to learn. It's really a great place for that. And you do attract people who are interested in that. And maybe they're not super interested in their own well-being and their own emotions, but then they learn that that's what it takes to be able to be able to attract a good partner. You have to first work on yourself. Right. You can connect the dots. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, James, for taking the time to share your insight. Uh, I really appreciated our conversation. It's really cool to hear a perspective from someone who is approaching coaching with regards to dating and relationships in a way that is a little bit different than the norm that we, or at least I, have heard in the past. So uh, thank you again. I think a lot of important points were brought up over the course of this conversation that, once again, don't necessarily have to be used specifically in the dating context. I think communication is valuable in all relationships. And while I will stop just a few points short of saying all relationships are equally valuable, I do think that a lot of what makes a successful romantic relationship tick also makes the same Uh, Also, rather, is the same for familiar relationships, platonic relationships, work relationships, any other type of relationship that you can imagine. Anyway, if you'd like to know more about James, you can find him on Instagram at AuthenticLife9. That is AuthenticLife and the number 9. And his website is also AuthenticLife9.com.
Thank you for listening to Detoxicity. I hope you found this particular episode interesting. And if you are new, I hope you go back and listen to all of the older episodes. Uh, Once again, my name is Mike Joseph. I am the host and producer of this show. And uh, there are a lot of things that you can do to continue to support our mission, continue to support this podcast. Uh, Follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, Twitter, and I'm on TikTok as DetoxPodGuy. Uh, You can also send me an email if you'd like. I'm at detoxpod at gmail.com. I am always on the hunt for people with interesting, inspirational, and powerful stories. So if you know somebody who fits that bill or if you yourself fit that bill, please don't hesitate to drop me a line via email or via social media. Uh, Please make sure you subscribe on your podcast platform that you're listening to this on. Uh, Rate, comment, help a brother out, uh, help us move up in the rankings, uh, follow me on social media. Like I said, uh, follow our Patreon or subscribe to my Patreon, actually, patreon.com slash detoxicitypod. You get access to exclusive episodes. You get episodes a little earlier than the general public. You get a cool ass sticker, lots of stuff. Once again, patreon.com slash detoxicitypod. Quick shout out to Calvin Williams for providing the music and, uh, doing his magic on the logo which was originally designed by jacob block i thank you all for listening i wish you all the best please take care of each other till next time peace